Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Amen. Back in Scotland, before I got involved full-time in theological education, I was a pastor in two Scottish Baptist churches. And the second of them, I went to it as the associate minister youth. I was a youth pastor, I was a youth worker, it really depended upon the title that you gave to it. I was either at the end of the first wave or the beginning of the second wave of youth ministers in British Baptist churches. I don't think that makes me a veteran, it just makes me old. (laughs) It was a fairly large church and in that church we carried out work both among, and these categories are not always helpful, but both among our church young people and also among non-church young people. We were an evangelical church and therefore we were very keen to be involved in mission. And among and with our young people, we carried out kind of two different styles of mission simultaneously. One approach to mission was called in-out. Quite simply, in-out began with the people you have. The Christian young people, the people who have faith, and it begins to expand, as it were, and you know, ever outward in circles, trying to make the most of the natural contacts that the young people already had. So you were starting with those you had in and working out. It's a good strategy, it's very effective, it's a good way of reaching, as it were, our friends and our contacts. The difficulty with that approach on its own is. There are many other people with whom we may not have natural contacts who otherwise will be excluded and missed if we simply stick with our own original tribe, as it were. So the second form of mission we carried out was called Out In. Very creative titles. Someone wrote a book about them. And Out In, and Out In basically meant that some of us started out there somewhere in areas where we did not necessarily have natural contacts. As part of the out-in, we tried to make connections with the local schools. In the area where I lived, there were five schools. There was a secondary school and a primary school. Now in the UK system, the secondary school is the school you go to aged 11 to 18. The primary school is where you go aged 4 or 5 to 11. And one school feeds the other. And in this area, four primary schools, one secondary school, and somehow I managed to become the chaplain of them all. And when I think back on that, there were some pretty scary moments, or times when at least my adrenaline would be running. I think of two particular instances when that happened. 
One was in the secondary school. In the secondary school, remember, that's for those aged 11 to 18 years of age, they would often have what they call a school assembly. A school assembly in this particular instance meant that one day a week, they would get one of the year groups, they would force them to meet in the assembly hall for 15 minutes at the start of the day. And sometimes I was invited to come and make a contribution. Well, these days would go something like this. And I want you to imagine 14 to 15 year olds, because I always found them the most difficult. They're somewhere in the middle. They're not the youngest in the school, and they're not yet allowed to fill up the corridor, so they own it. And so they manage to convey this idea of being present but absent at the same time. So if you ask one of them a question, who me? <laughs> so imagine this, there they are gathered in the assembly hall and I'm invited along and the 15 minutes would always go like this. The first five minutes where people are arriving, sometimes late, and everyone being shouted at to take off their outdoor coats. The next five minutes involved a senior teacher in the school usually shouting at them all for dropping litter, for upsetting the neighbours, for coming late, and for all the other crimes that you commit when you're at school. At the end of those five minutes, they would then say, and now Mr Blythe wants to speak to you, and they would walk out of the room. <laughs> now this is very good for your prayer life. And one of the things I had to do to get to the spot I had to speak from was to go down about seven narrow stairs. And my prayer was always, please, God, don't let me fall. <laughs> because any credibility that I would have established would have been gone forever. Just at the other time, though, going through my head, was a little voice going, okay, preacher man, can you cut it in here? It was good for the prayer life. I liked the adrenaline of that, but that didn't scare me as much as what I had to do in the primary school. Primary school, ages four to five to 11. And I would go and I'd be asked to go to the primary ones, the four to five year olds. You enter the room and they are excited to see you. They look like babies with school uniforms on, but nevertheless. <laughs> and the teacher guides you towards the storytelling chair. And you get to sit at the chair and the children are asked to gather on the floor round about you. Some of you have done this. And the first thing you realize is this, that when they gather, they begin to move forward. So they start a little bit further back, but without standing up, one of them, this happens, trust me, and as soon as one of them sees it, the next one's like that, you know, they have the skills that they had of babies of being able to move without walking, you know that, I won't tell you what we call it, but nevertheless, they're able to shuffle towards you, and they get closer and closer until some of them are actually touching your legs, right? Didn't like this, okay? Just didn't like this. And they're all then looking at you, so you go, okay, I'm a professional, I can deal with this. So my approach was never to ask them questions, because then you lose control. It may surprise you, I like to be in control, and it worried me. 
And so I begin to tell a story, avoiding any of this, put up your hands and answer the question. And then one day I was telling a story, and the story, at some point I mentioned a dog. Now's the dilemma. Do I just ignore them? This little four or five year old with a little cute face, maybe they were going to ask to be saved. <laughs> what do you do? I know what I should have done. I should have ignored them. I looked to the teacher for help. The teacher is enjoying the rest and leaving me to it. I thought, okay. What is it? I've got a dog. Every hand in the room goes up. You've started, so you have to finish. What is it? I've got a dog as well. My dog's called Barney. My dog's called Bob. I don't like your dog. And so it goes. Control is lost. I try and get control back, I try and narrow it down, I try and stop the questions being asked. But the last one, oh, they just look so sweet. And I'd ask the other 10, how could I ignore number 11? That child could be crushed forever. Okay, yep. My grandmother has a dog. Suddenly every hand goes up. I have a grandmother! I used to beg not to be sent to that class. And then when we employed another youth worker, I sent her. <laughs> but it raises for me the question of, where are we willing to physically put our bodies for the sake of the gospel? There's a building down there called the library. One or two of you have been in it. And when I go into that library, I go up to the third floor. Because that's where the theology books are kept, okay? For those who did the worship class that last year, that was your mistake. And nevertheless, up to the third floor of the theology books. Fine. On the way back, though, I always stop at the shelf that has new publications that the library has brought. And the other day I discovered that there was a, a book, I don't know which of my colleagues have ordered it, I'm assuming it was one of us. It was a commentary in the Gospel of Mark, not a new book, but clearly new to the library. Commentary in the Gospel of Mark by a writer called Chet Myers. The commentary is called Binding the Strong Man. It's a so socio-political reading of the Gospel of Mark. I once heard Chad Myers speak, and he told the story that when, as a student, he was in, I would have called it a skip, but I think we call it a dumpster full of waste and old food stuff, and he was in it, and he was in it with an old priest. He was in there because he was working at a homeless shelter, and he was trying to find some food that might be reusable for that particular shelter. The old priest, for those of you who are interested in the period, was actually one of the Berrigan brothers, the two renegade priests who played a very significant role in civil rights and civil activism. And Chad Myers says he was in there as a young student sorting through the rubbish. He said, and this old priest said to him, Myers, where's hope? Chad Myers said, I began to think of all the right answers I could maybe give him. I struggled, he said, and he answered the question himself. And I'm now giving you a paraphrase of the answer that the priest gave. The priest said, hope is where your body is. <coughs> I wonder, 
Where are we prepared to place our bodies? That they become symbols of hope, of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Where will we put ourselves physically? When you read gospel narratives, such as the one that we read today, there are many things we should pay attention to. We should pay attention to the characters, who are the narrative characters, who is in it. We should pay attention to the time, when is it happening. We should pay attention to the dramatic action, because that is also important. For those of you who are interested in preaching, the verbs do matter. So we should pay attention to what is going on. But we should also try and pay attention to place. Where do things happen? Because often they can have considerable significance. Our story begins with Mark telling us that once again Jesus is beside the lake. Actually, in terms of the narrative time, Jesus has not been in the lake for several days. But you and I who've been reading through Mark just minutes before, read about Jesus being at the lake, and the last time he was at the lake, something happened. He called his first disciples to follow him. And here Mark, now in Mark chapter 2, is flagging up once again the Jesus who walked by the lake and called people is walking by the lake. We're meant to hear, maybe something else is about to happen. And indeed it does. For at the lake, once again, Jesus calls on someone, this time Levi, the tax collector, to come and follow him. Place in story matters. And then we discover, as the scene changes, Jesus is at dinner in Levi's house. Jesus puts his body in somebody else's place. And there, he's surrounded by the people who probably were quite familiar with that place. The tax collectors and the sinners. And several things, of course, happen. One of the things that happen is that the religious people, the good religious people, the keepers of the moral law and what is right, they criticize Jesus. That happens. What also happens is the disciples get confused because they're not quite sure what to do with Jesus yet or indeed ever. Jesus is always much more exciting than the, than the disciples who follow him. But they're not sure, so when they're asked the question, they don't answer. But Jesus answers and pushes back, saying, this, this is what it means to do the mission of God. For I've not come to call the righteous. I've come to call sinners. I've not come from the healthy. I've come from the sick. That is why I am in this place. Jesus puts his body in someone else's place and that actually can be a really difficult thing to do when I finished being a pastor in a church I discovered something I had three nights I could do things again <laughs> and one of the things I did was I joined a, a pipe band one of my hobbies but I discovered something now I was someone who in that church had been quite used to be doing a lot of mission with people, but I discovered something. I no longer had position. I no longer had power. I no longer had status. 
I had no longer any control over the space. Even when we were doing some of our most daring outreach among some very marginalized young people, it was in our building according to our rules and we could exclude those we wanted to exclude on the basis of our rules. In the pipe band there were no rules that I could say in their mind. They didn't care, I won't tell you what they said, that I'd been a minister. I, I suddenly found myself in someone else's place. Very different situation. I don't know how many of you pick up on or follow Kevin, Kevin Vincent's uh, blog post. And there's one recent one in which he, he's giving some gutsy comments. And he focuses on Mulgrave Park Baptist Church. And Kevin Jolly, the associate pastor and church planter, talks about the importance of place. But he also makes a little statement that is so significant, but we could miss it. He says, if you want to get to know a place, perhaps you should join what someone else is already doing. Uh -huh. To put yourself, to put your body in someone else's place for the sake of the gospel. And so when I read this passage, it challenged me anew. Where am I prepared to put my body for the sake of the gospel? Where am I prepared to put myself physically to be someone who's prepared to bring hope? It raises for me the question, what seashores are we willing to walk along? What buildings are we prepared to enter? What doors are we prepared to go through? And what tables are we prepared to sit at to put our bodies in someone else's place for the sake of the person of Jesus Christ? Yeah. And here's the thing. As we think about that, Jesus has already walked out the door shouting behind him, come, follow me. He's just waiting to see which of us straggle out behind him. Amen.